Hay Kings podcast brought to you by Vermeer, your expert in hay and forage equipment. Starting out as a custom operator, it's hard to know what decisions are best. We're here today with Rob Flowers of Whitesboro, Texas, a producer who's been on the lucky and unlucky side of decision-making when it comes to starting a custom operation. Welcome to the podcast, Rob. Hello, thank you. Rob, tell us a little bit about about your operation and, and maybe how you got started. Well, we, uh, we're custom bailers. We lease four or 500 acres of ground um, that we produce hay on to retail, to sell. I started out as strictly a custom bailer. I visited with you earlier and, and I, I told you I was, I'd bought a parcel of land. We were building a home on it. I looked out and uh, the grass needed to be mowed and I didn't have a tractor. And I, a friend of mine said, Hey, if you, if, if you don't want that hay, I'll, I'll, I'll take it. Well, take it. I need it mowed anyhow. And so the guys came out, they cut it, raked it, bailed it. And I looked, watched them and that looks like fun. So, um, <laughs> next thing I knew, I owned a tractor and a, an old wore out tractor and an old wore out cutter and a wore out rake and a wore out baler. And I was, <laughs> I was in the hay baling business <laughs> that has since evolved to where we run two, two big tractors, two big cutters, two rakes and two round balers. And, uh, we have a, a square baler. We do about 8,000 rounds a year and then about 10,000 squares. We're not a big square bale producer by any stretch. Um, but we, we do enjoy making square bales. It seems it's this, the rhythm of an old square baler just is, 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 it's a nice slow pace and it, it's enjoyable. Um, like I said, we're, we're our main thing. The main thing we produce is round bales, um, but we do dabble in square bales. So you just said you had two of most everything. What kind of help do you have? Well, I've got uh, my son. My son is uh, 24. He's a fireman. So he works 24 and he's off 48. So I get him. I get him for two days and then I have to double time on the third day. <laughs> so, um, but he has helped me. Uh, he and I started out, uh, back he was 10 and he would, he would rake the hay on an old orange tractor with no cab, uh, and just a little, uh, umbrella over him. And he just fell in love with it. So he, he really enjoys, um, helping out. Um, and I've got a, a, a couple of older gentlemen that uh, retired uh, that are in their seventies that that I help that I use they they love to rake hay they they say well it gets me away from the wife for a minute or two you know so we don't argue <laughs> you know so a good 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 group of guys you know yeah good um, deal yeah it's it's mostly you know my son and I um, we try to do it all but like I said but then you know he every third day he's at work so um, I, I have to fill in and you know. Um, with with the older gentlemen and and but they they really know the operation as well so we we all work well together would you say that you were prepared when you got started or was there a learning curve well i mean a learning curve absolutely you know and and prepared no no you know i mean people think it's as easy as uh, you know oh, let's just go buy a tractor a cutter a rake and a baler and we're gonna we're going to make hay. Uh, you, 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 I, I always joke, I'm a mechanic that started bailing hay. Um, <laughs> because if, if you're not a mechanic, you, 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 you pick the wrong hobby profession or whatever. You, you've got to know how to, how to service equipment and, and you, you can't be scared of it. You know, and I'm not saying everyone needs to know how to rebuild transmissions and engines. Um, I, I wouldn't tackle that. Um, there's people that know more about that than I do, but you know, it's uh, cylinders, repairing cylinders, uh, hoses, uh, you know, you just have to have a mechanical uh, working relationship with that equipment, you know? And, and so that's to answer your question. That's, 
that that's the learning curve is is boy Heidi you've got to learn quick you know how do I work on the, the equipment um um, as simple as, well, when do I quit replacing rectines and just buy new wheels? You know, it's a whole lot easier just to buy a new wheel and stick it on there, you know. And then the the the, the learning curve of when is the hay ready? You know, I, you know, you, you we're on Mother Nature's time frame, not our time frame. You know, a wind change, humidity drops, humidity comes up. It's partly cloudy. It's so many variables involved in it. There's there's no. There's no set in stone. We cut one day and bell the third. That that's not the way it is. You know, you you, you have to know the cues of Mother Nature, um, the the humidity, the the dew points, and and the, the seasons. The UV rays even come down into play. You know, as to when the you know when the hay is going to be dry. You know, when when is it going to be ready? Let's take a break there and get a word from our sponsor. I wouldn't care what baler anybody was running. I would tell you that this is the best mesh there is, the best mesh. When I switched to Vermeer Net, the first thing I noticed was how strong the mesh was when I was putting it into my baler. It's tough, it doesn't rip, it holds together. The biggest impact Vermeer Mesh has had on my operation has been more time. That time savings, it's just, you got more money in your pocket or more time with your family. I'm Mike Levesey, and that's why I switched to Vermeer Net. Let's talk about customers when, when we're talking about a custom bailing operation. Where did you start out with your customer base and how has it changed? In the beginning, obviously, we had uh, small equipment, you know, the eight-foot cutter, little ten-wheel rake, you know. Um, and, and we started out, and I know this sounds funny, but bailing horse pens. You know, I mean, the people go, hey, you know, I've got a little horse farm. Now there's four acres there and three acres there and seven acres there. Can you bail my property? And we were kind of the, the little big guy, you know, we'd go in and we would bail these smaller, smaller fields. And I had a full-time job at the time. And, and so what I could do in the evening between five and dark, we did. It got to the point to where we, you know, gosh, we were making pretty, pretty decent money, you know, um, doing that. And, and, you know, then your name gets around, hey, he does a good job or, or hey, I don't like how he does it, you know, it goes both ways, you know, Um but as word got around and, and we got a couple of larger jobs, 50, 60 acres, uh, we leased some land. But a lot of those original customers we still have. Um, um, it, it's hard for the smaller guys to, to get somebody in there to build their property. You know, everybody obviously wants the biggest, you know, the big jobs. They pay more, whatever, whatever, you know. But we tried to take care of those those smaller customers and, you know, keep them provide for them the hay that they need for their livestock or, or, uh, to sell the hay, you know, they produce a little bit of hay, keeps their property in ag, you know, um, meaning ag exempt on the tax end, the property tax end of it. But we have stayed, we've stayed with the majority of those, those, um, original customers. We, we've stayed with them or they've stayed with us rather. And we've added quite a quite a few large ones too, uh, up to 225 acres in one field that we do. So you know, big it, fields are nice. It, they are, they are, they are. And I mean, that's that's obviously you know we can produce more in four days on 225 acres than we can produce in two weeks. You know, just going around these small fields because we're at one spot. You know, we're at one location. Generally, longer windrows, less corners, all all of those things make a difference. Yeah. Yes, one gate we open up and we're in 225 acres and there's three trees to go around. So it's it that's it. And three trees and three telephone poles. You know, and not that it's flat. I mean, it, you know, there's terrains, there's creeks and ponds and whatnot. But 
um, the field's just very, very uh, uh, has been manicured, if you will, to produce hay. You know, they, they went in and did away with a lot of the trees and, in order for us to get sprayers in and whatnot, you know, where we weren't, weren't contending with the obstacles in the field. All right. As we're talking about those small fields versus the big fields, how do you think about prioritizing those custom deals? Well, as with everything, and, and I've I, I've told people, you know, we where we're from in Texas, we we get it seems like we get all or nothing. You know, we just get dumped on with rain for a month and a half in the spring, and we can't get in. And and you know, and I tell people, and, and I try to be honest with them and upfront, and and as as you know, see through as I can be. Look, you know. I got to go to the to the big stuff first, you know. Um, that's where that's what allows me to to stay in businesses, taking care of the large customers. I'll get to you. You just have to be patient. That's one of the reasons why we've we've bought virtually two pieces of every piece of equipment that we need. You know, two cutters, two rakes, two balers, um, so that we can go. You know, if we're working on a big field, we can get some of the, you know, the smaller fields and some of the customers that we've had for, for many years and get them taken care of in a timely fashion. And and that's a key point to, I may be backtracking on a question. I apologize if I am, but we started out and as we evolved, you know, I, it was a rainy spring and I, I had one 13 foot pull behind cutter. And I, how in the world am I ever going to get all this cut rate, you know, cut and bailed. And, and I made the decision to buy a second 13 foot uh, pull behind cutter and all of a sudden things just opened up. You know, I was spending, uh, you know, half the time getting the same amount of land cut, you know, um, which allowed us to get to those smaller customers sooner. Like that, that's a fairly big jump in financial terms, going to that second swather or cutter, I guess. There's some regional vocabulary differences here, but uh, going to that second mower... Did that uh, did that make it so you had to quit your day job? Is that how that worked? Well, actually, no. I got uh, I got upset with my my boss that I had worked for for ten years. Um, a, a side note on that: he and I were brother in laws at one time, and and I went to work for him and worked there ten years, and uh, we're we're as good of friends as as ever now. Um, but I just got frustrated, and uh, my wife and I talked, and I said, you know, I think I can make a living um, bailing hay, and. She said, do it and don't look back. And so I jumped in with both feet. Um, and as that summer progressed, it was towards the end of the summer. And, and as that summer progressed, it, I could see that, you know, and this will work financially. I can do this because I can now devote my time to my business and not his business, um, which was, you know, kind of burning the candle at both ends prior to um, prior to prior to quitting my my full time job. Um, which is a funny statement because if anybody does this, the you know, hay baling is a full-time job. For them. You know, you're, <laughs> you're, you're working seven days a week anyhow, you know, 10 mm-hmm. hours a day. But, but it allowed me to focus my efforts on my business, which was producing hay. Um, and as that second year evolved after that, I, and I realized, hey, I, I need another piece of equipment, that second cutter, I made the step and it was scary. Um, you know, anytime you, you sign your name on a dotted line for a, for a piece of equipment that's fifteen, sixteen thousand dollars at that time, it's it's a little bit scary. Uh, but then I saw that, uh, hey, with that second piece of equipment, I need to get more custom work and I need to get more lease land so that I can produce more hay um, for myself to retail and then to to, um, to 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 custom bail for other people as well. So that just evolved into 
two 13 foot cutters. And then we traded in, traded those in for, uh, two, uh, 21 foot cutters pull behind. So that allowed us to cover 42 feet uh, around as we're cutting hay. So we can really, um, we can really lay down some grass in a hurry. The problem is, and is if you know, um, if you bailed hay, you now can cut more than you can bail because you're <laughs> cutting so much hay. Uh, you know, you, you pull out of a hundred acres and you know, you pull out of a hundred acres in six hours, um, you go, wait a minute now, now that hay's going to be dry for it. Get it all bailed three days later. You yeah. Know? So yeah. that, uh, that required a second baler, <laughs> a second rake. So now, now we go from, uh, you know, one 13 foot cutter to two 13 foot cutters to two 21 foot cutters. And now we must buy another rake and an additional baler, but then it allowed us to bail that hundred acres of hay in one day. So we could not only cut it in a day, but we could rake it and bail it in a day. But of course that, again, now we have to have two additional operators. Um, you know, we have to run two rake tractors and two bell tractors to, to, to get it all done. So it, uh, it becomes a bit of an employment, uh, an employer employee, you know, how do I get the manpower is what I'm trying to relate, you know, and, and back to the original question, you know, you ask about the, who helps, you know, is, is the older gentlemen come into play. They, they step in, they love to rake. And, um, so they run the rakes and my son and I'll bail. All of this feels vaguely familiar to me, starting out with small, older equipment that's worn out, maybe been worn out three or four times before I got it. And then at some point you start doing well enough that you can afford something a little bit nicer and then you grow a little bit and then you add more acres and, and then all of a sudden that equipment that you bought, talking about going from one 13-foot cutter to two, that there's a progression there. Is that how this has to happen? I, I feel like this is a very common theme in agriculture. I think if you want to increase your business, it, it is, it's a necessity. It is nice. I don't think anyone would argue the fact that, that it's nice to crawl into a tractor that's paid for or that um, hook up to a cutter that's paid for, a rake that's paid for, a baler that's paid for. And and I'm not saying that, you know, we all have to owe, you know, billions of dollars on equipment. I'm not saying that. <laughs> right, but, right. but you can't, you can't take a, a wore out tractor and a wore out rake and a wore out baler and a wore out cutter, make a living, if you will. But, and maybe I'm going the wrong direction with this, but I, for me, if I'm having to work on that equipment all the time, I don't have it in the field. And if it's not in the field, it's not making any money. You know, it, it's eating, not producing. So to, to answer your question, yes, I think you have to evolve with equipment. I think you have to get larger if that's the direction you want to go. You know, if you're bailing your own 30-acre patch for your 10 mama cows, then no, you, you use what you've got. But when you're custom bailing and you want to produce a, a bale of hay to retail and I've got to make so many bales of hay in so many days of a window of, of summertime, then you've got to get in there, get the hay cut, get it bailed before the rain comes. Um, so it takes speed and with, with speed, you need high capacity equipment, you need durable equipment um, and, and you need equipment that you're not having to work on all the time. This also sounds vaguely familiar to my experience. And it's kind of crazy how somebody in Washington and somebody in Texas can have similar experiences in that expansion and growth. I really like your commentary here. This is, I think this is what some folks need to hear, that you have to start out with small, old, worn-out stuff and work like heck until you can afford something a little nicer. 
and then work like heck until you can afford something a little nicer. Correct. And it, it, I've seen a lot of people um, that decide they're going to get into the hay business and they run over to the local dealership, regardless of what color it is. And they get, oh, I got, you know, a great deal on this brand new tractor and a great deal on this brand new cutter and this brand new baler and this brand new rake. And they jump out there and go, whoops, now that end of the year is here and I've got to make a payment and I don't have the money. You know, um, it, it, you have to start out small and you have to get your, your, your asked about customers in the prior question or so. You have to get that customer base. Um, you have to know those customers are there um, to, to, to give you work. Is, is is I guess the best way to say it. There has to be work there to feed that equipment. I myself am, am fairly conservative when it comes to spending money, and I um it it is always a big battle with my mind: is do I spend this money? Do I spend this money to buy this next piece of equipment? It's always worked out. The thing that's coming to my mind as you're saying this is the neighbor down the road for me saying, "Oh, it's just so nice to have." These, these eight series John Deere tractors and the cabs and the fancy hydraulics. And it's, it's just so nice and we can do so much more with them. But in my head, I'm screaming, but what if there's a drought? How do right. I, how do I, how do I make the payments? <laughs> Correct. And, and that's what we're enduring in Texas right now, obviously. I mean, the majority of the state is in a severe drought um, with even exceptional droughts or exceptional severe stage four in the drought. Most of Texas is in stage four and some of it in stage five um, in a drought. And, and that is tough. I mean, that is, that's, that, that's, that is always the perpetual silver bullet when it comes to, well, do I spend the money on that piece of equipment? Do I spend the money on that piece of equipment? You know, um, I always tell my wife, I, I don't have a crystal ball, um, but I know what I did last year and the year before and the year before that, you know. Um, so th- that's, th- that's the information. That's the data that I combined to make my decision looking forward. I can't control everything. It's impossible. As, um, as I'm thinking about it, my, my mantra is, build an operation that can survive a drought. Correct. And that's Correct. not going to be the same everywhere. If there's an irrigated region, obviously there's, or or a higher rainfall region that's not as likely to have drought, that kind of thing. Build an operation that can withstand a 50% hit. Or, uh, I mean, everybody has a little different risk profile, right? Right. Correct. Correct. You know, I, I had to laugh one spring. I sat here. In fact, it was the year that I had purchased the two 13-foot pull-behind cutters. And I sat and watched it rain for nearly 40 days. And I told my <laughs> wife, I said, well, if, if, if I never thought, I never dreamed that we would go broke because of a flood. It was always a drought. It, but yet we were in a flood and we couldn't go to work. We couldn't get in the fields. It rained 56 inches, I think, in, in from January the 1st until June the 30th. It wow. had rained 56 inches, 52, 54, 56 inches. Um, and then when it quit. We did not get rain for, for 90 days after that. Um, we're still out. We made some massive tonnage on everything. You know? yep, <laughs> we're going to yep. go broke watching it rain. And that's the one thing we have to have is rain, you know. But it, it's funny how that, that, you know, the Mother Nature turns and, and makes those those decisions as to, hey, it's going to rain or it's going to be dry. You know, nothing we can do about it. You've got to be prepared. Right. Is there anything you would have done different with your machinery purchases throughout the years? Would you have grown a little faster? Would you have gone to something newer, faster? Would you have said, I have to have a nice swather versus I, or I have to have a nice baler? Take us through your thought process on that. I would look 
at tractors, for example, I bought several tractors that what I felt as though I could afford had terrible luck out of them. I mean, you know, and, and I'm not, no color dif- differences. I mean, I just bought the machines, um, thought they were good tractors. They were fairly low hour machines, had a good look to them. You know, one tractor I bought, I, I gave $50,000 for it. And within six months, I had spent $20,000 on that tractor and transmission and injection pump and a, and a uh, engine control module, the computer. I still own that tractor. Um, it's a very, very good tractor now. Um, but it was, it cost me virtually what I could have purchased a new tractor for had I just spent the money. And after that, I made my mind up. I wouldn't buy another used tractor. I would, would buy uh, of that caliber. You know, there's a difference if you spend 50,000 or you spend 20,000. Um, but, but I gave 50,000 for a tractor, which was a good deal when I bought the tractor. No one, you know, again, no crystal ball could know that the transmission would go out and, and we'd have those, those other issues with the, you know, with the injection pump and the computer. But with that being said, to answer your question, um, I wouldn't have grown any faster, but I would have purchased newer tractors. And, and the reason I say that is because that, that one particular tractor um, cost so much money, I would have been better off just to have bought a new one and had warranty. Um, as far as equipment goes, I always, always purchased once I got out of my, my, my wore out first cutter, I always purchased new cutters because there's no hour meter on them and you don't know how many acres have been put on the things. And, you know, you see, you really have to, you ha- really have to be a, a, a good judge of how, what kind of condition that machine's in. Um, and I never regretted buying uh, new cutters. I always felt really confident that I knew if they had hit a stump or if they had hit a chain or a piece of cement or whatever, I knew because I was, you know, they'd bought them brand new. And I've had very good luck out of my cutters because of that. It is okay to say because there's only, I think there's only one manufacturer that makes a 21 foot cutter. It is okay to say the brand name here. <laughs> okay, good. Well, I'll do that then. Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to Vermeer. <laughs> Well, and my twenty-one, my twenty-one foot cutters are are actually TM fourteen ten vermeers. Um, yeah, you know, they fold down to nine foot six width, and they spread out to twenty-one foot. And uh, we uh, we pull them with big orange tractors and economy PTO. Um, oh, so um, we have a hundred and fifty-one horse and a hundred and seventy-one horse um, big orange tractor and uh, tractors plural. Yeah, and. Um, and we run them in economy PTO, and they'll pull just fine. I mean, they they just walk and talk, and they burn very little fuel. And that uh, Vermeer TM fourteen ten is is probably one of the uh, probably one of the vet best inventions that anybody has ever come up with. We can take it through a ten foot gate, and it'll dance around. It's agile. Um, it does a great job mowing. The blades are super thick to the point of we can bail. You know, we can cut three, four hundred acres before we even have to flip the blades on them. They're, uh, <laughs> results they're may vary. Pretty... <laughs> well, results may vary. Yeah, that's <laughs> in sand, you know. Of course, you get rocks and that sort of thing. You know? Yeah. Um, but I've, oh. I guess I've tooted the horn on Vermeer cutters enough. But, um, <laughs> I, I, just, I just know that I have some clay fields and then I have some sandy fields and there's a world of differences to how long knives mm-hmm. last. <laughs> Well, you're right, you know, and, and we had the, the, we had the 13 uh, foot cutters were not Vermeer. They were, um, orange. The, the blades are thinner and well, we would change blades every 
the hundred acres, you'd have to change blades. Because uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. this sand is terrible down here. Like, it really gets, and we have gophers. Yep. So not only are you on top of sand, but you're plowing through a gopher house, you know? So it's just a dust ball behind you. That, you hay. that may be the most universal uh, condition for hay, hay producers is gophers. Is gophers, yes. <laughs> you were talking about the drought in Texas. Take me through what hay prices are doing in your neck of the woods. Um, I have heard 190 a roll for good, clean, fertilized, weed-sprayed um, horse hay. Like, like a 1,000-pound kind of round bale? Correct. Okay. Yes, yes. Four, four by five and a half. Four, a lot of people call them four by six. No one really makes a yeah. six-foot-tall bale. It's too hard on the equipment. You, I, All of mine are five and a half foot tall, four yep. wide. Yep. Um, but I've heard 190 a roll with the waiting list. It is very common to see, uh, you know, fertilized uh hay bringing 100 a roll right now corn stalks that's all you see running up down the highway right now is corn stalk hay because that's all there is you know all the grass hay is is has been purchased but you know already um it's it's very tight in texas we're we are uh i've never seen hay this short before um it's you know, I get three or four phone calls a day with people, you know, do you have any hay? Do you have any hay? And, and the answer is no, I, I don't. It's got to rain. You know, I suspect by wintertime, if there is any hay to be had, it'll be $200 a roll for just cow hay. For us West Coasties, that's 400 bucks a ton. That's that's expensive. That's correct. Oh, my gosh, expensive. What do you figure? What are the livestock producers? How will the livestock producers respond? Well, I've got one one customer that I've sold hay to for four or five years. They normally buy 200 rolls a year, and um, I called her and visited visited with her the other day, and I asked her, I said, look, I'm I'm, I'm out. You know, you, you, you've got to make a decision like today because I've got four people to call to sell your hay to, and, and she said, I've already, I'm already selling cattle. I'm going to keep 20. And she said, I, I, I think I want to, I want 50 rolls. And I said, do you realize that, uh, you know, once, once I write you down for 50, that's it until, unless it rains, there's not going to be any more. And she said, let's do an 80. So to answer your question, they're selling their cattle is what they're doing. They're selling their horses or they, I don't, not necessarily so much the horses per se, but the cattle. Um, I feel sorry for the people that have, just a couple of horses and they've had them for years and they're their pets. Uh, they're going to take this on the chin. You know, the, the, the people that are the trainers that, you know, train horses, they'll feed alfalfa or, or they've got the square hay. They're going to pass it on to the, to the owner of the horse. Um, but, but the, the livestock producer who has to sell their, their herd that they've, you know, that they've been um, developing uh, for the last 15 years, 10 years, you know, that they've got that, that gene that they like, you know, when they have to start getting rid of those animals, that's tough, you know. Yeah. Um, it's hard on them. The way I think about it is not not every cow is a strategic long-term asset, but some of them are, right? Correct. We talk Correct. about those Absolutely. We talk about those breeding herds. Some cows are strategic long-term assets and selling strategic long-term assets is is kind of akin to you selling a tractor. You right. lo- you lose your productive capacity, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I've got a really good friend of mine that uh, I bailed hay for for seven years. One of my original big customers um, that we brought on that, that he brought us on board to, to custom bail his hay. 
uh, we bailed his hay uh, um, the first part of the year, first part of the, the spring, summer, and um, he uh, we did not make near the tonnage we needed to because of the lack of winter rains and, and early spring rains. Um, and he wound up having to buy a hundred rolls of hay from me in order to keep his cattle. Um, because he told me, he said, I either buy hay and keep my cows or I'm going to have to sell my cows because if we don't get another cutting, I'm going to be short a hundred rolls. Um, and, and that, and he had spent many, many years developing that herd, um, really nice, really nice Angus cattle, really nice group of cattle. And he said, I can't afford to do it. I can't afford to, to sell them. I'll have to start all over again. You know? So, um, but it's, it's, it's tough. It's tough. You know, when we go so many days without rain. In, in retrospect, breakdowns can be humorous, right? right. It, it's very, it's not really rare that a breakdown is humorous in the moment. I, I actually have a, a broken axle on a bail wagon right now. And I, Last night it wasn't really funny, but now I'm I'm okay because I got the parts and it's ready to go back together. What's what's a humorous story that you have on breakdowns? Oh golly, there's been a, a jillion. Um, trying to think of something that was just silly. I, I ran a basketball through a swather once. A basketball? Yep, and it and it sounded like an atomic bomb going off. I, oh, I bet it did. <laughs> You know, I think back in our early days, I had I had leased some land and still lease it. Um, but my son was raking and he was raking on an old Alice Chamber tractor. I'm back in WD-45 with with the with the umbrella on it. Um, and we were pulling a pulling a, our the original rake, the first rake we ever bought. And I'm behind him bailing hay. He's raking. It's hot. And I look up and the whole left side of that rake just fell off. And we were out in the middle of this field. There wasn't a tree around us. And I stopped and got out. He was he was 11 or 12 years old. And I went to pointing my finger at him and shaking my head. And his eyes got big. And he said, Dad, I, I didn't hit anything. And I just died laughing. I was choking <laughs> as I was. I said, I know you didn't hit anything. <laughs> well, boy, he thought he was in trouble because that rake, he had hit something. But he knew he hadn't hit anything. <laughs> the old rake just broke in half, you know. It, it, was, it was an old old rake and it had been pulled over a jillion acres and um, we laughed about it and he said well dad what are we gonna do i said well we're gonna put it back together so we got the loader and loaded it on the trailer and pulled the other half of the rake home and we welded her back together off we went again the next day but um breakdowns are, are you know you i always tell everybody you know if, if just just when uh, just when you're in you're on your knees you're hot you probably got the hide knocked off your hands um, and, and you just look up and you go, Lord, what, what do I do? You, you just got to keep going, you know, and, and, and it'll all be okay once you get it back together. Um, Cause breakdowns are going to happen. They're, they're going to happen. I, I don't care if it's brand new equipment or if it's used equipment, it's a lot less prevalent if it's new equipment, but it will happen. Bearings get um, flat spots, you, nails lay in roads. Yep. Something's going to break. You know, we've shoved antlers and tires and, uh, you know, you always grit your teeth as you pull that antler out, you know, uh, <laughs> I don't hear any air. We're good. You know? <laughs> and then sometimes you pull it out and go, should have left that back in there. You know? <laughs> yep. Should just cut that off. <laughs> you know, yeah, you, you just got to, you got to keep a positive outlook, a positive outlook because days are going to be long. Um, 
they're going to be hard sometimes. Um, and just when you think, hey, we're going to get done early today, you, that never needs to cross your mind because the minute you think that, it's going to be four more hours. You know? <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, a special thank you to Vermeer for making this podcast possible. Without their sponsorship, this would be a, a lot tougher to get done. Thank you very much to Nick Palmieri and Jessica Palmieri, our audio editor and uh, social media coordinator. Thank you very much, Rob, for joining us. Well, thank you for having me on, John Paul. I appreciate it. Thank you.